tonight we are going to uh, be back in Hebrews, barely. We're not going to cover much of it. We're going to look at one verse and only a portion of that verse because we are still talking about the great faith chapter. And he lists off all of these people as if, you know, we're supposed to just read it and ignore anything else about it. Well, they're there for a reason. And that reason is because they are an example for us. And if we just say their name and that's all we do, we're going to miss out on the example a little bit. And so I contemplated trying to like throw a bunch of these together at one time, and I just decided, you know what? We don't have to, we don't have to rush. We can get this done by just looking at maybe a couple at a time or whatever. Um, what matters is that we're in verse 32 of chapter 11. And uh, it says, What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets. Well, I thought I really didn't have time to talk about it either, but I decided I'm going to take the time. It was listed in Scripture for a reason. And so I think there's going to be some benefit in doing so. So today we're going to at least look at Jephthah and hopefully Samson, um, but that's about as far as we're going to get uh, today, for sure. So I'm going to start out taking you to um, an apocryphal book, uh, one that really lines up with Hebrews 11 quite nicely. All right, I'm not saying this belongs in Scripture or anything like that. I'm saying this is a good companion to the book of Hebrews, and especially when we get to chapter 11. It says this in chapter 44, verse 11. It says, The judges also with their respective names, whose hearts did not fall into idolatry, and who did not turn away from the Lord, may their memory be blessed. May their bones send forth new life from where they lie. And may the names of those who have been honored live again in their children. In essence, it's saying that these people that he has just mentioned here in Hebrews 11, their life still speaks. What they did is still an example, not only to us and to their children, but their children's children are an example. And I think about the blessing. Um, Daniel Joseph has been talking about the blessing and how we don't really understand the power of those words. They have found the ironic blessing. You know, may the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord turn his face upon you and give you peace. That blessing has been found on a silver scroll. And, I mean, it's, it's incredible because it shows how important it was to them. And you can read about it in the, the Talmud and all kinds of things. That These people took that blessing not just as words, but as life. And it meant something. And so... I think it's important that we look at these people who have been mentioned because of their faith because it's still supposed to speak to us, which is why the author is taking space in the book to include them, to talk about it. So you might remember back in Hebrews 6, we talked uh, a little bit about this when it says, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. I think that's where Paul got his, uh, in part anyway, his encouragement to say, imitate me. 
We talked about that back then. It's like, I cannot imagine telling any of you, hey, do what I do. <laughs> okay, I mean, first of all, even if I did lead a life that was worth imitating, how dare I say so? It just, I, I, but yet Paul says, imitate me. And yet here in Hebrews it's saying, imitate these people who have walked by faith. I'm thinking of Jamie Walden, uh, how he was saying when these older guys, they think, you know, he looks really young. And so they come up to him, yeah, just wait till you have kids, just wait till you do this and that. And, and I don't remember his exact words, but it was just like he said, hey, I'm here to set you an example. Don't look down on me because I'm young, Timothy talks about, right? He said, well, Paul was telling Timothy, don't look anyone look down on you because you are young. And Jamie just kind of took that and it's like, hey, you can, you can tell me just wait all you want. Okay, while you're becoming complacent and have given up the fight, I'm going to set you an example. Watch me. Imitate me. No, I'm not perfect. And you're going to see that these people we're going to look at, they're not perfect. None of us are, but we should strive to where we can tell people, do what I do. Okay? Yeah, I screw up, don't do that part, but for the most part, you can see my life, do that. And that's encouraging to me, that we should have that kind of confidence in the way we live our lives that we could say, imitate me. So, we're going to begin here with... Uh, Jephthah, as I said, you can read about him in Gen uh, Judges chapter 10 and 11. And I'm going to just give you some highlights. We're not going to go through the whole thing. But um, bottom line is, some background here is Israel has been overrun by pagans. I thought this was quite fitting for this week as well. America has been overrun by terrorists within and bottom line is there are all kinds of pagan doctrines. And we see that Israel had bought into a lot of those pagan doctrines. Sounds like America. Sounds like modern Christianity. Well, they did evil in serving these pagan idols, these pagan gods. And as a result, God forsakes them. He says this in verse 10, six, or chapter 10, verse 6. Then the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths and all these gods, and they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. So notice first, they forsake God. That's going to be important. But notice as well, they again did evil. We're in the book of Judges here, and there's this whole cycle of the Israelites fall away, they forsake God, God allows them to become oppressed, so they become depressed, and they cry out to God, and then God basically comes in, bring, uh, raises up a judge since they repent, and then they're good for a while, then they start falling away again. They, they find these other gods. And I, I was hearing somebody talk about this here recently too, in the sense that, you know, we can say, who is your Savior? And you'll say, well, Jesus. You know, I'll say, is he really? If you have a really bad week, who do you run to? Is it Facebook? Is it the Mandalorian series? You know, anything on TV to get your mind off of reality? Or do you run 
to the one who can actually help and save you from your problems. Now, I'm just as guilty. I'll tell you that when there are really bad things that happen to me sometimes, all I want to do is nothing but just, I want to watch a movie. That's what I want to do because I just want to escape reality. Guys, that is a band-aid that will never solve the problem. We should be running to Jesus. And in essence, that's maybe a modern-day version of what is going on here in Israel. Things are going great for a while, and it's always after things are going great that people begin to fall away and start finding their comfort and joy in other things, in the blessings that we turn into curses. And I think that's what's happened in America. We have focused so much on things to bring us happiness. I was talking with uh, one of my Mexican friends here that I was working with this week. And, you know, he grew up with nothing in Mexico. And yet, you know, he really wants to go back to Mexico. And it always fascinates me because in my mind, I'm like, why would you ever want to go back? Yuck! But, you know, he was talking about, you know, they send money back to their parents, you know, all that kind of thing, of course. But bottom line is, I said, but you know what? You guys are happier, I'm sure, than we are when we have all this stuff. He says, oh, yeah. He says, I noticed that right away. They're happier, even though they have nothing and all the crime and all of those things going on, but they're happier than we are because we have made our God all of our stuff. And we think, and we keep, that's what amazes me, is we keep thinking that more stuff is going to make us happy. And when you get some more stuff, it makes you happy for a little while, and then you're in need of more to keep that drug, you know, satisfying you. When are we going to learn? But that's what's going on here in Israel. They had blessings that turned into curses because they forgot and forsook their God. And I think, I think that what's going on in America right now, God is trying to wake you up. We keep trying to ignore what's going on. We keep trying to buy out and buy more things to distract us from what's going on. Guys, what is it going to take for us to do what these people did eventually? Repent and say, God, we have forsaken you days without number. Our sins have piled to the heavens as we've murdered baby after baby after baby in abortion and we've, we've forgotten how to blush with the homosexuality and we have um, found our pleasure and desire in everything but you. We just make you this little add-on that we do on Sunday to make us feel better about ourselves. Anyway, moving on in verse 7. So the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. Well, I'll tell you, I do not ever want to hear those words about us. But I was going to say, I, I, we might be there. I don't know. I, I think because of what's going on in America, this hit home for me. Have we been sold because of our sins? That is the state Israel was in at the time of Jephthah into the hands of all of these people that oppress them, the enemy that had oppressed them for 18 years. 
Now, what's kind of a, I don't know if it means anything or not, but it's just kind of an interesting comparison at, at the very minimum. Uh, in Luke 13, verse 16, we see that there's this woman who Satan had bound uh, for 18 years. And God, Jesus basically heals her on the Sabbath. And uh, the very fact is, is that that's what happens is when we forsake God, we are bound by Satan. And whether there's any real, you know, just a coincidence that these 18 years are mentioned, I don't know. But nonetheless, this is what happens in this case. Um, God is, is faithful to us. He's a gentleman. He's not going to force himself on you. It's up to us to either repent or, or accept by the power of the Spirit the grace that he gives us. And Israel was at that moment, and they had had enough, and they said, we need God. So it continues, and it says, All the children of Israel, who were on the other side of the Jordan in the land of the Amorites and Gilead, moreover the people of Ammon crossed over the Jordan to fight against Judah, also against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. In essence, trouble is coming from every direction. Every direction. And as I said, when they were oppressed, they became distressed. And it's because of that that they become depressed and call out to God. Maybe this is where God wants us. He wants us to have absolutely nowhere to turn. There's always one place, though, that we can turn. And that's... I found myself surprisingly depressed on Thursday. I didn't think I would matter what happened. But not that I have any hope in who becomes president. That's not where my hope comes. But for some reason, I think it was just the reality of, uh, hopefully I don't offend you, but oh crap. We're in trouble. And I've had to remind myself many times, what's it matter? God is still on his throne. He has not left his throne. And as we sang tonight in those wonderful songs that Logan picked out, he is sovereign. And the enemy is not escaping. Not at all. So, Maybe the distress that some of us are going through is a good thing. Maybe it's going to lead to the next step. Verse 10, And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you because we have both forsaken our God and served the Baals. So the Lord said to the children of Israel, Did I not deliver you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the people of Amnon and, the, and from the Philistines? Also the Sidonians, the Amalekites, the Maonites oppressed you? And you cried out to me, and I delivered you from their hand. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will deliver you no more. Wow. That, those are words I never want to hear. It's one thing when we forsake God, but when you continue to forsake him for so long, there comes a point when he says, I'm going to turn my back on you. God, because of Yeshua, 
Jesus, I can tell you this, will never turn his back on his children. That is, of course, unless you are not his children, then yeah, he will turn your back on his back on you. But for me, I find extreme confidence and joy in this, knowing God is not going to turn his back on me. I know who I belong to. And therefore, what goes on in this world does not matter. Because I serve the one who, whose face shines upon me and gives me shalom, peace. And we need to remember that. How do we remember that? Well, the same thing. God says, don't you remember how I delivered you? Well, God has delivered me by sending him his son, Yeshua. And that's what I need to always go back to and say, listen, God has been so faithful to me, not only on the cross, but throughout my whole life. I have seen him deliver me time and time again from my own stupidity. And I need to remember that. That's part of why we need to look at these faith people, because we need to be encouraged by that. Anyway, verse 13, he says, Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods, therefore I will deliver you no more. Go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in your time of distress. This kind of goes back to this idea, this warning that I gave you before. Who's your God? Now is not the time to be running to TV to find your comfort. That's like doing what they did. Go to your God. See how that works out for you. Keep going to TV, keep going to Facebook, keep going to buy-in things, and we'll see how well they can deliver you from the distress that you're in. I'm telling you, you'll come up empty. You need to be running to God right now like never before, like we were back in March and April. We need to be chasing after him, not giving up. Not like, hey... <laughs> Trump doesn't get in, we lost. No, you still win if you continue chasing after God. I don't care who's in the office, you win if you keep chasing after God like you did before. Don't give up. Not on, Trump isn't the issue. Don't give up on God and your struggle against the devil. He's the real enemy who's trying to defeat you through depression distress, whatever the case might be. So don't go to these other gods and cry out to them. Go to the God and cry out to him. Continues, verse 15, And the children of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems best to you. I'll only deliver us this day, we pray. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord, and his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. Let me tell you this, when God's children are suffering, it pains God. It pains Him because He's our Father. And anybody who is a father here knows that when their children are in distress, it, it hurts to the very core. That's who our God is. He is pained by our distress those who call out to him. And that means he's going to come and fight for you. And when he does, it's going to be like a, a mama bear. You don't want to be in front of a bear 
that has cubs. That's what's going to happen here. What I'm also impressed with in this is that their confession. We have sinned. They're acknowledging that they've screwed up. This is what we as Americas, Americans need to do. We need to admit we have sinned gravely. And also, notice what else they said. Do to us whatever seems best to you. Do to us whatever seems best. Deliver us today, but what, you know what? We deserve punishment. We get that. That's true repentance right there. Not, I'm sorry, okay, now make my life. Give me all my stuff back. No, it's do to take anything you want. All we want is our life to, to be spared, to be delivered. That's all we're looking for. That's what follows faith is obedience. And until obedience came, there was no evidence of repentance. And I think that's in part the value of what we in this group have been talking about a lot in the sense of, of Torah and the importance of those things. Guys, th this is God's word. We don't do it because we have to. We don't do it because we were trying to be Jewish. We don't do it because you're earning salvation. You do it because it's what God desires. That's it. And we do what he loves. We love to do what he loves. Period. You know, it goes back to what we were talking about before, the, the love language. If my wife loves to be loved by me buying things for her from time to time, I should do that from time to time. Well, God loves us to be obedient to him and follow his commands, partly because it makes him proud. He's a proud father when the children do what he wants them to do. That's what's in God's heart. Verse 17, Then the people of Amnon gathered together and encamped in Gilead. The children of Israel assembled together and encamped at Mizpah. The people, the leaders of Gilead, said to one another, Who is the man who will begin the fight against the people of Amnon? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So now Israel's going to war, and they have nobody to lead them. Nobody wants to do it. So now we're introduced to this guy named Jephthah. So in chapter 11, verse 1, it goes on and it says, Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot. Okay, here, This great guy, and yet he's the son of a prostitute. Gilead begot Jephthah. Gilead's wife bore sons, and then when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall have no inheritance in our father's house, for you're the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brother and dwelt in the land of Tob, and worthless men banded together with Jephthah and went out raiding with him. So here's this guy. He doesn't seem to have great character. I mean, if this is where I stopped with Jephthah, I'd think, what? He's in the great faith chapter? He's got all these, you know... Bad people raiding with him? And yet, this is the guy we're reading about in Hebrews 11? I find it interesting, too, that he's the one rejected, not the father who was the one who slept with the prostitute. But anyway, that's a side note. Um, it is interesting as well, though, his background. 
being the son of a prostitute that he's listed in the, the great faith chapter as well. And I, I want that to be an encouragement for you guys as well. Not that you're you know, sons of a prostitute, but the fact that who we are in our past and where we come from, maybe you come from a family of atheists, maybe you come from an ungodly you know, mother or father, or maybe you do come from, the, from a, a prostitute. Whatever the case might be, that's not who you are. It doesn't make any difference. Okay, He's still listed in the great faith chapter. That is not your identity, your past. No matter what you've done is not your identity. It's who you are now, who you've become in Christ. That's what makes you. There is a messianic picture here, and I probably should take a little bit longer on that. But we see here's a guy who is rejected by his own. And just like kind of the parable where they want to kill the heir and say, hey, come, let's take their son. You know, uh, he's the heir. Um, take the inheritance for themselves. That's what they wanted to do with Jesus in that parable. Kill the son so that the inheritance is ours. That's really what's going on in America right now. Kill Christianity and we're going to be in control. We get the, the inheritance. That's kind of why they chased him away. He's an heir. They don't want him to have an inheritance. So they chase him away. And then what happens? Worthless Gentiles follow him. As he is chased away by his own, this band of worthless men follow him. That's us. We follow Jesus. Yeah, a bunch of worthless Gentiles. But God makes us holy and pure. But anyway, you can kind of see a little picture there. The very word Jephthah, his name means... Basically, to, he opens. And so it's like he's opening a door to something. Well, that's what Jesus, Yeshua, has done. He opened the door to the Gentiles to come in to the family of God. And then he becomes our leader. He becomes our king. So, like I said, we could stay there a lot longer, but moving on. It says, it came to pass after a time that the people of Amnon made war against Israel. So it was when the people of Amnon made war against Israel that the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Then they said to him, Come and be our commander that we may fight against the people of Amnon. So again, uh, just like Jesus. Verse 7, So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, do, not, or do you hate me and expel me from my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, that's why we have turned again to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the people of Amnon and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you take me back home to fight against the people of Amnon and the Lord delivers them to me, shall I be your head? And the elders of Gilead said, The Lord will be a witness between us if we do not do according to your words. Hmm. Here he is, a king, he says, all right, if we don't do what you say according to your words, then the blood be on our heads. Sound familiar too? Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and commander over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. What's interesting is Jephthah is going to give the Lord credit for everything. It's not going to be his strength who delivers, but the Lord who will save. We've talked about that with the Maccabees in many other cases as well. But he says the Lord is going to be a witness between us. Clearly this man 
is a man of faith. Verse 12, Jephthah sent the messengers to the king of the people of Amnon, saying, What do you have against me that you have come to fight against me in my land? The king of the people of Amnon answered the messengers of Jephthah, Because Israel took away my land when they came up out of Egypt, from the Arnon as far as the Jabbok, and to the Jordan. Now therefore restore those lands peaceably. You know what's interesting is we're 3,000 years away from this and yet we're still having the same argument. Yeah, nothing new under the sun. Just like the Ammonites, this is the argument that we see the Palestinians using today. And they're saying, you know, this is our land, get out. And Israel's saying, God gave us this land. It has been our land. So, same argument. Now, the Lord God of Israel has dispossessed the Amorites from before his people Israel. Should you then possess it? Will you not possess whatever Chemosh your God gives you to possess? So whatever the Lord our God takes possession of before us, we will possess. So basically saying, listen, let our gods decide where we live. God gave us this. Your gods gave you that. Live where your gods have given you. Kind of interesting if there's some spiritual truth to that. Have you ever thought about that? That there may actually be territories that are controlled by different gods, lowercase g? How about Matthew chapter 4? Do you remember when Yeshua is uh, being tempted by the devil? You know, all these temptations. One of them, he says, he takes them up and he says, look at all these kingdoms. He says, I will give them to you if you will just bow down and worship me. I remember always reading that and thinking, what kind of idiot is the devil to think that would be a temptation? If I own my house and somebody comes into my house and says, hey, I'll give you this if you'll uh, you know, bow down to me. I'd be like, I own this. What are you thinking? Yeah. But you know what I mean? doesn't make sense, does it? Unless it's true. And <laughs> I have all of these things that one of these days I'm going to teach you. But, you know, we're going to. But there is a, a book, uh, Unseen Realm is the, the title of it. And it's going to show you, I, I think we can make a, and sometime I'll go over it, but it will make a clear case biblically that there has always been a battle of kingdoms, physical areas of this world that are going on and will go on until the Lord comes back. Yep. The the prince, uh, yeah, the, the prince of Tyre or whatever, this angel was basically fighting against Gabriel and delayed him in coming. Yep. We also are going to see in Revelation at the 11th or the, the chapter 11 in the seventh trumpet, it says the kingdom of this world has now become the kingdom of our God. We see John tells us the devil is what? Prince of this world who now stands condemned. Has he been thrown into hell yet, the, the lake of fire? No. His, he just stands condemned. But he is still prince of this world. 
That is why James chapter 2 or 3 says that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We see as well Mount Zion. Why is that so important to God throughout all the scripture? There's Mount Bashan and Horeb. There's something about these mountains and there's a reason. And again, I'll teach you that another day. But the bottom line is this. When the angels come down in uh, Genesis 6-4, when we see Enoch and whatnot, they come down on Horeb, or, or Mount Hermon, I mean. Okay, There's a reason that's out there. There is a battle going on. And when you see Bashan, that is, there are blessings and curses pronounced from these two mountains as well. There are reasons for all of that because there is a spiritual battle going on for kingdoms. And so I think that here in Judges there's some spiritual truth to the, the physical there. I'll leave it at that for now. We don't need to worry about it because you know we are belonging to the kingdom of God. And there is a day he's going to take the earth back and it will be as it was supposed to be. But that's why this world will be destroyed. And all the evil will be cast out of it. So, in the meantime, know this. This is also why we are called foreigners and strangers here. This is not home. Not even the United States of America. They can have it. This isn't my home. Don't forget that. Verse 25, Now, are you any better than Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever strive against Israel? Did he ever fight against them? While Israel dwelt in Heshbon and its villages, in Aurora and its villages, in all the cities along the banks of the Arnon, for 300 years, why did you not recover them with that time? Therefore, I have not sinned against you, but you wronged me by fighting against me. May the Lord the judge render judgment this day between the children of Israel and the people of Ammon. However, the king of the people of Ammon did not heed the words which Jephthah sent him. So, basically this man of God is putting his full trust in the Lord. Yeah, he's a mighty man of valor, but I don't. That, that's not what he's putting his strength in, is it? May the Lord judge, render judgment. May the Lord fight with me or for me as I go out to fight. Verse 29, then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. Why? I think because he's acting in obedience and in faith. And he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and through Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah he advanced toward the people of Amnon, Ammon. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the people of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. I don't want to get too much into this vow. There's a lot of controversy over that. Uh, we'll kind of get into it a little bit more here in a minute but bottom line is the new testament it says let your yes be yes and your no no you are not to make vows it says so in this case i'd say jephthah is making a mistake um and he's going to pay for that here in a little bit but we'll we'll kind of keep moving for now 
Judges 11.32, So Jephthah advanced toward the people of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands. He defeated them in 20 cities, and it says it was a very great slaughter. Thus the people of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. Again, a messianic picture. When the Lord comes back, what's going to happen? He comes, and it's a great slaughter as the Lord and the Spirit go forth to deliver. But to just touch on that vow, when he gets home, because he does win, you guys probably know the story, what, what does he see when he first comes home? The first thing that... His daughter. And we're not going to look at that in great detail, but the bottom line is there's, an, there's a, a debate. Did he really kill his daughter? Because he says, I'm going to offer him up as a burnt sacrifice, right? A burnt offering. Would that be pleasing to God? No, it would not. Okay, God does not. As a matter of fact, he commands not to do human sacrifice. So some say that he simply, uh, basically she had to remain a virgin for the rest of her life and she went out there and mourned because she could never marry and that kind of thing. Possibility, although I don't tend to think that's what was going on. Uh, the Hebrew word there, and, can mean or, the way the word is used. And so it, the first thing comes out of my house, I will offer up, I'm trying to remember how it's worded now, but it, it could be or a burnt offering. I don't really, the best Hebrew scholars just aren't getting it out of that. Maybe though, possibility. I, I'm not going to decide, you know, let, I'll let you decide in your research what you think happened there. But it says that he did to her what he had said. But I think this is why we have to be very careful about our oaths, because our words have power, and there is um, there are consequences to things that we say. And that's why God warns us not to say things, I think. But anyway, I find it interesting that, again, of all people to mention, in the book of Hebrews, we get Jephthah from that story. And I think it's just because of the one main thing. Faith. His faith in God. And as I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, that for us should be a great encouragement too. Because I don't think it was because of his military exploit. It wasn't because he was a mighty man of valor. He could have been a little pipsqueak, and I think he would have still been mentioned in the great faith chapter. Gideon was, and Gideon was a pipsqueak. Yep, obedience, which is something that comes from faith. So faith is first, but obedience is what comes from that faith. And that is why he is mentioned here. Anyway, um, that's Jephthah in a nutshell. We're not going to get into Samson tonight. We're just not going to have enough time for him. But um, I just want you to think about that in perspective of your own life, that faith is what matters. Remember when we were talking about, above all, take up the shield of faith. That more than anything, it's that shield of faith that we have to be yielding right now. And as we do that, it doesn't matter what your circumstance or your stature 
or any of that is. What matters is how you're using your shield of faith. Because as I read Jephthah, you know, without Hebrews 11, I wouldn't have thought of him to put him in there. But yet, he puts him in there because he had such faith that he could go against all of these people. And really, did he have this huge army? Not really. He had a, you know, before we know he had some, you know, bad people that were hanging around. But the majority of the people, they were all little scaredy cats that are hiding out. You save us. And he says, all right, I got God. We'll do it. It's like David going up against Goliath. Which another thing, I find it interesting, David, as a little boy, is willing to go up against Goliath. And when he wants the, the material, physical armor of Saul, he says, I can't fight in this. And then later on in life, when he's running from Saul, he goes to the priest and says, do you have any, anything here, any, any swords? And he says, well, I got the one of Goliath. He says, oh, there is no, none better. And so he takes the sword of Goliath with him. In one case, he doesn't care about any armor. He doesn't care about that stuff. But then later on, when he's fleeing from Saul, I think we see some fleeting moments of him. That his faith, even though he's a man of great faith, it wavers, just like it does with all of us. That we see, you know, all right, let's go, let's go kill Saul, we, we can do this. And he, he even cuts off the, the hem of his robe, and then he's conscience-stricken. It's like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I was, I was living in the, in the flesh for a little bit there. right? And he kind of goes back and forth. But for the most part, I think that he is living in faith. He just has those moments, I should say, that is flesh. Bathsheba is definitely one of those. We see um, the same thing with Jacob. He is called Israel or Jacob, depending on where he is in his faith at that time. When he is living strong in the faith, he's Jacob, or Israel, I mean. When he is in the flesh, he's called Jacob. And I think all of us, you know, we need to have that John the Baptist. John the Baptist, there was no one greater born of a woman than John the Baptist. And yet, after he's been preaching about Jesus, saying, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I'm not even, un I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And then he gets thrown in prison, and what does he say? He tells his disciples, um, Go ask him if he's the one or if we should expect somebody else. It's like, what? And what does Jesus do? He just sends back, You, you go tell him you see the blind or, or see. Okay. Basically, he's quoting what's supposed to the Messiah is supposed to do. So he's basically saying, "Listen, the word tells you I'm the Messiah." But my point is, is no matter how strong we can be in the faith at times, it's okay for us to falter. And maybe "okay" is not the right word, but it's natural for us to falter. We're going to do that, but get back up on the horse, and let's stand and live in faith. Pick up that shield. And stand. Kind of like what Jamie Walden was saying when he uses that scripture. It's really what Jesus says. But he goes through all of this list in Matthew 24 and other places about all these bad things that are going to happen. And he says, so when you see these things happen, stand up for your salvation draws near. Stand up. Rise. Pick up that shield of faith. Stand strong. Be bold. Be a Jephthah. Live in faith. Don't give up. So let's close in prayer.
Heavenly Father, give us the strength to stand when we are weak. Lord, we are indeed weak in so many ways, and we need you more than the air we breathe. We just pray, Father, that you and your spirit and your word would strengthen us, empower us, and give us the faith to just to be able to face the flames of fire as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that we would face those flames knowing that you are going with us wherever we go, whatever we do, and that we are not to rely on our own strength, our own preparedness, our own, our own wisdom, but we rely on you and your promises and the forgiveness that you have brought through your son, Yeshua. In that precious name we pray. Amen.